It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Talking Point after an Azerbaijan Grand Prix that saw Red Bull end up dominating after another Ferrari implosion. Both Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz suffered with reliability issues that ruled them both out of the race, which has now left Red Bull 80 points in front of the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes picked up the pieces with George Russell taking P3, while Lewis Hamilton did finish fourth, but he looked in absolute agony doing so. Uh, Here's what's coming up on today's show. We'll take a look at your comments about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. John Wyatt will take us through his driver ratings. We'll take a look at what conclusions we can take from the weekend. And I'll be joined by CCF1 as they preview the Canadian Grand Prix, their home race, which will take place for the first time since 2019. And joining me on this week's episode are my Planet F1 colleagues, John Wilde. John, how are you? Yeah, good morning, Henry. Yeah, very well, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all, thank you. And also joining us is Oliver Harden. Oliver, you okay? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Cool. Let's get let's get straight into it then with uh, your reader comments. So, uh, Theo writes, once again, Ferrari decide to self-destruct. And Maurizio writes, as a massive Ferrari fan since the late 70s, it's hard to stay positive. Uh, Ferrari is its own worst enemy and have been since Michael Schumacher retired. This just proves more and more that Michael Schumacher truly was the greatest of all and have been able to take Ferrari to the fight for so many years, considering how useless they are. John, let's start with Ferrari then. I mean, a double DNF for them, lost uh, 45 four points to, to Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. That, that could not have gone worse for them, right? No, it was a real implosion, wasn't it, from Ferrari? Both cars out in the first half of the race, and I really do think this could be a, a big turning point in the Championship this season. Perfect result for Red Bull in the order in which they'd have wanted their drivers to finish, no doubt. And uh, yeah, big, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think many people would be in agreement that uh, you know Red Bull are, are you know sort of favouring uh, Max Verstappen over Sergio Perez, uh, you know, o- over the season as a whole. Um, I think they got it the right way around. But for Ferrari, yeah, uh, you know, a- another disastrous day. And uh, they've got a long way to uh, to claw back in the championship now. And Oliver, we'll come to Ferrari a little bit later on in the show from one of your conclusions. But again, it just, <laughs> they just can't, it, it's, is it luck or judgment from their point of view, do you think? Probably a bit of both. Um, it, it really was the worst possible um, result for those of us hoping for a you know really tight Titanic championship battle this season. I think it, you know 
we have now what we feared at the beginning of the season that Verstappen would be kind of up up up, up and away by by uh, the start of the summer. So it really was from that point of view really disappointing. And let's look at the other end of the spectrum then, Red Bull having the perfect day pretty much. Uh, Sebastian writes, it's time for the FIA to step in. We can't let Red Bull run away in the championship so early in the season. Uh, While Bino writes, this could become a very boring season where the championship fight will likely be a single team affair. Red Bull are in a really good place right now, while Ferrari and Mercedes have some serious problems to deal with. Um, Those those seemingly ring true. I mean, John, Max Verstappen, he really answered what happened in Monaco, didn't he? That, That was almost flawless from him. Yeah, most definitely it was. Um, once Charles Leclerc was out of the way, he got a free run at Sergio Perez, didn't he, and sailed down the inside of him into into turn one, and it was all over from from there on, wasn't it? I, I don't think you know Red Bull have done anything wrong really in in the last few races. There was team orders in Barcelona, wasn't there? Uh, not much they could have done about Monaco, but I I, th- I think they're getting the big decisions right at the moment, and and they're fully deserving of the big lead in the championship. And how much do you think these um, sort of this success in last season's World Championship will have helped them, Oliver? Especially in the context of having you know such recent success compared to Ferrari having fifteen years without a drivers' championship now. Yeah, I think it's pivotal that you know the weight of that history, all those years of failure from Ferrari, really do weigh heavy on them, especially for such a massive, massive team with such a proud history. Um, Red Bull, I think they put together a perfect season last year. It's not been quite that up to that standard this season. Obviously, Verstappen struggling to get on um, in the groove with the car. A few races, but you know the table doesn't lie. At this stage, they're they're one clear. Yeah, and uh, and Red Bull, John. I mean, they're 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 looking relatively relentless. I mean, you know, you mentioned about the uh, about the order that the drivers finished in, but overall, that's uh, that's a very positive weekend from their point of view. They're now one and two in the championship. Yeah, like I said before, I really do think this could be a pivotal weekend. I mean, it, it was absolute best case scenario for Red Bull and worst case scenario for Ferrari. And, you know, the momentum has shifted massively, hasn't it, over the last few races? Um, I probably only really see Red Bull build, building an even bigger lead now. Um, I think Ferrari have got a lot of questions to answer, uh, especially in terms of the reliability with those uh, those two engine failures for Leclerc in the last three races. I think the pressure's really on them. Obviously, a very quick turnaround to the next race. Um, and I can just see more of the same in Montreal, to be honest, there uh, with potentially even another Red Bull 1-2. So, John, let's move on to your driver ratings then. We'll start with Lewis Hamilton, a man who looks like an absolutely broken man at the end of the race. Um, the main thing is, you know, hopefully he's okay because the porpoising on that car has been terrible. Uh, he was voted driver of the day by fans as well. And uh, taking a look in the Planet F1's comment section, uh, I, James, wrote, well-deserved nine for Lewis. Uh, multiple clean passes, perfectly executed through the course of the race. And, you know, John, uh, nine out of ten for him. In terms of the context of the race, you know, like, how, how did you feel Hamilton did? Yeah, I mean, a, a broken man, you say, maybe physically, certainly not in terms of his spirit. Uh, he, he produced some brilliant overtaking moves. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, like you say, the context of the uh, of the rating is, is in terms of the race itself because what, what we mustn't forget, of course, is that Lewis wasn't on the podium, but George Russell, his teammate, was. And that was all came down once again to the, um, the sort of the setups that they applied throughout the weekend and, and qualifying performances. Um Obviously, Russell has now beaten Hamilton seven out of eight races. So, you know, 
I think there's a 37-point gap between them in, in the championship standings. But in terms of the race, uh, Russell didn't need to, you know, he just needed to keep it clean to uh, to get his podium, really, didn't he, after the, the Ferraris went out. But uh, Hamilton, the dynamic, dynamic drive, he, he made several overtakes. And uh, the way he got out of the car at the end, yeah, he, he did look broken. And, and there was talk about him even having to miss Canada next week. I'm not sure that'll happen, but uh, it was still a, a drive he can be very proud of. Definitely. And Oliver, from the point of view of porpoising, we need to mention it at some point, don't we? Because Toto Wolff uh, sort of, uh, he didn't describe it in uh, in PG friendly terms, did he, about the car and uh, and Barry writes, uh, why does Toto Wolff keep apologising to Hamilton? Russell seems to be coping really well with the car. Uh, perhaps Wolff should <laughs> fill Hamilton's car with cotton wool. Uh, and uh, Nair writes, like Lando Norris said after the race, Mercedes are choosing to punish their drivers in their tr- uh, quest to chase speed with a bad car. It's not the FIA's or anyone else's problem. It's Mercedes' problem. I mean, where, where do you stand on the porpoising and on their car at the moment? Yeah, well, there is the argument that, you know, other teams have, have been able to solve it. Some teams have been able to, you know, I think in Red Bull and uh, McLaren in particular, uh, they seem to get by without it. So why can't Mercedes? Um, it, it does surprise me a little bit that they haven't banged the drum a little more when it comes to the safety point of view. Because if they're struggling to, um, you know, resolve it themselves, the, the, there is an argument that they, you know, they should put pressure on, on the FIA to make more um, to make to bring in um, mechanisms to stop it across the board. Um, I, th- I think this is a team quite conscious of being portrayed as sore losers. I think if you think back to how quickly they dropped, um, you know, the the rows about about the way the season finished in Abu Dhabi last season. Um, but it does surprise it does surprise me that that they haven't tried to, to get it done in from a regu- regulation point of view. And John, coming back to you know the the fact that Mercedes have kept bouncing so much. I mean, the results speak for themselves for the fact that they were third and fourth in the race. Ultimately, you know, Ferrari did drop off. I mean, they they are finding that performance. Uh, Lando Norris did say that McLaren has sort of found that compromise between sort of driver comfort and performance from their point of view. But that just you know, from from a safety perspective, like, do you think Mercedes should just you know just take the performance hit? <laughs> It's a difficult one, isn't it, to say, really. I mean, you know, that they are grinding out the results. They're, um, you know, they're not that far off Ferrari in the championship now. Obviously, the reliability has a lot to do with that. But um, I think really it's it's difficult to sort of backtrack now, isn't it? I, th- I think they have to sort of just persevere with it. I mean, George Russell does, does keep saying that they're close to a solution. So if if that is the case, then they have to sort of just try and sort of go that extra mile to uh, to actually sort of eke it out, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, there's been talk that maybe by the British Grand Prix that, that, you know, things could be a lot better for them. That isn't that far away now. So um, yeah, I I think just just go with it for the time being and uh, just see where they end up. And from uh, from Mercedes' point of view, and Lewis Hamilton's back, you know, you'd hope for his sake that things would be all right. But let's move on to your second rating now, John. You wanted to highlight Pierre Gasly. Yeah, I did because uh, it was another really good drive from Gasly in in Baku. He finished third uh, there last year and uh, fifth this time. So um, yeah, really good effort from from uh, the the Frenchman. The the AlphaTauri was looking much more competitive, wasn't it? Because Yuki Tsunoda was going well as well um, until he had that uh, that incident with the DRS flap, of course. Uh, which brought out the black and orange flag and, and and meant he had to pit. But yeah, I mean, Gasly, it's, it's, it's nice to see him after a, quite a tough start to the season, um, fighting at the sharp end again and, and looking a lot happier within himself afterwards as well. Um, you know, and, and he needs, uh, after the bad news of 
for him personally of Sergio Perez's contract renewal earlier in the week. It was uh, just the result he needed to uh, to flag up his prospects to uh, to other teams going forwards. And Oliver, you wrote in your conclusions as well that this looked like a bit of a shop window drive from Gasly. Um, eight out of ten of John's ratings. You know, do you think this will do his chances? You know, a bit of good for next season, if not the season after. Well, yeah, it can do no harm. Um, it re- I agree with John. It was really good to see him up there again. I think the Alpatari was thriving uh, in terms of the smoke on the performance. I think in terms of, of where it might put him, it's difficult to see um, where he could end up for, for next season in particular. I don't think he'd be at the top of the list for either McLaren or Aston Martin, which you'd look at and think they're the, they're the two most obvious options for him. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a very good performance, very much from, you know, similar to his performances over the last two seasons. It was really good to see. Absolutely. And uh, John, you wanted to highlight Zhou Guan Yu. He was uh, the third of four Ferrari powered cars to, to retire from the race, but seven and a half out of 10, he looked like he was having a good weekend, didn't he? Yeah, it was deja vu a bit, wasn't it, from uh, from an earlier race this season where he was just called in to uh, to retire the car through no fault of his own. It was a you know a, t- a technical glitch that uh, caused his retirement. But uh, yeah, there's there's some dynamic uh, driving going on from him early in the race, wasn't there? He put in a couple of overtakes, including one on his own teammate uh, Valtteri Bottas, who had had suggested Zhu uh, actually outperformed over the weekend actually which has definitely been unusual uh, throughout the season so far but uh, yeah very encouraging for him because after getting that point uh, in Bahrain uh, at the start of the season things hadn't gone so well for him Um, even sort of speculation about his future was was arising as a a result of that but uh, yeah um, he showed what he could do in Baku and uh, again that'll give him uh, some confidence uh, going into Canada. Yeah, and Red 5 writes, Oliver, it was really unlucky for Joe. He was on for a good result. And um, do you reckon that the the points disparity between him and Valtteri Bottas will be starting to play on his mind a bit? Uh, granted, even though, you know, like we say on Sunday, that was definitely through no fault of his own. Possibly. Um, I, I, I still see Bottas as, you know, the undisputed team leader there. It did seem like he, we had a lot of... Um, Travels down the escape road over the weekend. I don't think he ever really got in, got into the into the groove in Baku. For sure, um, it was you know probably his most complete performance so far. Um, but you know he is 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 the clear number two though. And finally, John, you wanted to touch on Lance Stroll. It was definitely a very mixed weekend in the Aston Martin garage, wasn't it? A five out of ten for him, where where Sebastian Vettel would probably be arguably one of the standout drivers from the weekend. Yeah, I think if um, if it wasn't for Lance Stroll's obvious family connection, I think um, you know there would be quite a bit of talk about his future as well at the moment. Given uh, given there is about certain other drivers who are uh, struggling towards the back of the back of the grid, but uh, yeah, I mean there was a, a couple of uh, incidents in qualifying to to. In, in rapid succession, weren't there in uh, in Q1, where uh, um, he, he sort of went into the wall and then had a heavier impact after that. That meant he, he started towards the back and he didn't make any progress in the race really at all until he was uh, called in to retire the car towards the end. He's off to Canada for his home race now. And um, yeah, he, he needs to improve because Sebastian Vettel, like you say, showed exactly what that car can can produce now. He finished uh, well up in the points. Uh, it's clearly improving as a result of the uh, the changes they've, they've made to it recently. But Lance Stroll isn't getting the best out of it at all, is he? So uh, yeah, I mean, we know what he can do uh, on his day. He's had a, a pole position, he's had podiums, but uh, he's not showing anything like that sort of form at the moment. And uh, he needs to hope that uh, getting back on home soil brings about a change in his fortunes so Oliver let's move on to your conclusions then uh, starting off with Red Bull I mean the 
the manner of Max Verstappen's victory uh, led you to believe, you know, he's put Sergio Perez back in his place, really. And looking at the comments uh, from Planet F1 as well, uh, Lord Kins, I write, Max was uh, leagues ahead of Checo in the race. Uh, I like Checo, but no sane person would promote his title credentials above Max is maybe a little bit strong. <laughs> While SV Supervox writes, uh, confirmation that Verstappen is the undisputed number one driver and that Checo will only be allowed to beat him if there's no way of swapping the cars around as per Monaco. I mean, do, do you agree with that sort of sentiment? Yeah, um, you know, there was obviously a lot of excitement after after Monaco in terms of Paris's role in the championship. Um, I think, you know, there are swallows and summers. And uh, Verstappen, you know, he, as, 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 the, as the reader says, he wouldn't ever put Perez's uh, title credentials above those of Verstappen. Um, I think it was a really commanding commanding performance by Verstappen in the end, obviously out-qualified by, by Perez for the second week in a row. Um, it never stops being a surprise when when Verstappen is beaten by by someone in the same car. Um, but yeah, it really was a, a very good comeback uh, for Verstappen after Monaco. And it's a 21-point lead in the championship for now, Jot. And it's and Ferrari have definitely shot themselves in the foot here. But uh, Verstappen, he looks like he could lead from the front now, doesn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Um, he's got to be a red-hot favourite, hasn't he? I think, fr- from my perspective, I almost kind of think that the Monaco victory for Perez was sort of a little bit of a, a bit of a payback for Barcelona in a way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it was in any way sort of contrived. It, it, it's just it was just the way that the cards fell on that occasion. But that was kind of you know his day. Well, I was going to say his day in the sun. It, was, it was, certainly wasn't a day in the sun in Monaco, was it? It was a day in the rain. But uh, but that was his his big moment. And um, you know that the balance was kind of redressed in Baku, wasn't it? With with Verstappen, you know, showing really that he's he's probably in a different class to his teammate. Let's uh, let's talk about Ferrari now, Oliver. I mean, two retirements in three races, and there has now been an eighty-point swing in the last five races between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc in particular. I mean, that is absolutely staggering. And do you reckon it could uh, start harming the relationship between Leclerc and Ferrari? Yeah, um, you know, obviously they started to believe after such a strong start to the season. But the way, as you say, is it's as it's just all falling apart so quickly. Really, is something even by Ferrari standards. Um, in terms of the relationship, you know, I think Monaco really cut quite deep for Leclerc. Um, it's it's one thing losing losing the win at his home race through his own mistake as he did last season, but I think to to take such a commanding pole and then to be so comfortable in the lead in in quite tricky conditions, I think that that um, is going to be quite hard for him to get over. Um, he was speaking after 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 his retirement yesterday as if. As if um, it was his third retirement in the row, so crushing was the disappointment of, of Monaco. So, um, you know, it is, it, there are signs maybe there that... It, and he, obviously, he was obviously very, very critical of the team after Monaco. He wasn't quite so much yesterday. He just looked empty. It was, it was as damn beat as, as we've ever seen him. So um, there could be, you know, trouble if, if he begins to feel, feel that he's being let down by the team. Let's go straight on to Mercedes then. Uh, you think it's another small victory for them. George Russell, third podium of the season. I mean, he's pretty much getting the most of that, out of that car, isn't he? Yeah, there's just a quiet, quiet um, consistent excellence about him this season. He's, ob- he's obviously um, beating Hamilton every, in every single race since since Australia. And, you know, Mercedes don't have the the car to challenge for for uh, victories at the moment or positions against Red Bull and Ferrari. But they, they are making the most of what they have, particularly on um, Russell's side of the garage, and that's really all you can ask for at the moment. Yeah, and John, from from Lewis Hamilton's point of view, I mean, there's been no secret about the fact that he's been trying experimental setups, and like, 
I don't know if it's a case of sacrificing himself because he would he would arguably never do that. But um, is it is it hard luck from his side, or is it you know the fact? How long before people start saying that Russell's just been that bit quicker than him this season? I think the stats speak for themselves there, Henry, don't they really? I mean, 7-1, and it's seven in a row to Russell as well. Hamilton got the better of Russell in Bahrain, but since then it's been Russell all the way. And I think, like I said before, I think it's 37 points now, the difference in the in the championship. Um, I think I think it all, it does very much come down to, to to their you know how how they're setting up the car and 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 how how much the car suits them uh, most definitely because like you know we saw in the race yesterday uh, Lewis Hamilton's still perfectly capable of, of producing excellent drives but um, yeah it, it, it's something that that has to be sort of addressed within the team I think in terms of you know where they go with this car, how they're both able to get the most out of it. And uh, and if they can do that, then uh, hopefully they can they can push up and, uh, and challenge for podiums on a regular basis, if not wins. So your final conclusion, Oliver, uh, Tosh writes, uh, much improved performances from Ricardo and Vettel this weekend. It looks like they finally got an understanding of the car and they both did well this weekend. I mean, Ricardo finished ahead of Norris. I mean, albeit with the help of team orders towards the end, is sort of returning the favour from, from earlier on in the race. But Sebastian Vettel, he looks a bit more like his former self, didn't he? And, you know, from their point of view, they, they all hope it's not a flash in the pan. Yeah, um, you know, they've both been very underwhelming since they joined uh, their respective teams at the beginning of last season. Um, I think they were quite fortunate in a way to kind of get the results they did this weekend. Vettel obviously made two massive uh, mistakes. He just uh, nudged the barrier in Q2, got away with that. And then he obviously, I think it was the highlight of the race, actually, when um, when he went down the escape room and just spun out of it in an instant almost. Um, so it was a very good performance where he's been. I think with Strong, I mean, he looks like he's completely lost his way. So um, I think Vettel's really starting to, to become the number one in that team now. Um, in terms of Ricardo, he obviously benefited from the free pit stop behind the uh, virtual safety car. Um, but, you know, considering where he's been in recent times, I think he's only scored points in four of the last 15 races. So, um, you know, anything he can get at this stage is, is going to be um, good for him. Yeah, with so much spotlight on Ricardo in particular, John, I mean, I know it's a PA, one place ahead of his teammate, but like, how much can he take from that? I think McLaren have to be a little bit careful, actually, with Norris and Ricardo, just just in terms of how that relationship could go. Because obviously there was the incident with the, the team orders yesterday, where they ended up um, telling both of them to hold station at, at, at various uh, times of the race. But um, Ricardo's obviously, you know, he's, he's very determined to uh, to fight back from the disappointing times he's had. Um, and yet Lando Norris, you know, will know that he's got a, a sort of an established position in the team at the moment. Um, you know, he's been the number one there ever since Daniel Ricciardo came in, uh, certainly in terms of the, their performances. So uh, it's, it's going to be quite a tricky one to manage, I, I think, for McLaren. I, I do suspect there might be a few uh, a few fireworks between those two for the rest of the season. And I'm sure Netflix will be all over that when, uh, when that does happen. Uh, so, John and Oliver, thank you very much for, for taking us through everything today. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. And now we don't have long to wait until the Canadian Grand Prix returns to Formula One for the first time since 2019. Uh, I caught up with Chris Chick and Cassidy Charette, otherwise known as CCF1 on YouTube. Here's our chat. Chris, Cassidy, thank you very much for coming on Talking Point. It's great to have you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, so Canada coming up next, your, uh, your home country. First, uh, first race there since 2019. How excited are you both for it? like next level hyped it's been dearly dearly missed and honestly you can just feel it throughout the city everyone is ready to have f1 back 
I mean, we went to the circuit not too long ago and you can see the grandstands being built up. And like, if you go there during the summer, it's pretty quiet, but now it's just like, there's just this energy that I feel with everything being set up, especially within the paddock. Yeah. So it's almost like a Monaco Australia vibe then. So it doesn't really have much going on for most of the year. And then as soon as uh, you see things going up, does that sort of ramp up the excitement for you? Yeah, because the track itself, you can actually visit it all season long, but it's basically just cyclists using it. There's not much attraction to it. But the fact that you're starting to see decor around the city, you're starting to see like restaurants putting up F1 themed items in the storefront. Like it's you feel it across the whole city. Everyone is like gearing up. You know, it's about to happen. You're seeing all the billboards and the fact that we're pretty much finally here after nearly three years of waiting, like we're beyond ready. Yeah, absolutely. What what was the city's reaction when uh, when it got cancelled due to COVID? I mean, that must be the sort of thing that when it's been prepared for for so long, it's almost like a, a carpet being taken from underneath you, I'd imagine. A <laughs> little bit. Um, it was mixed reactions, I think. Honestly, the first year round, not many people saw it coming because we just didn't really know what the realities of COVID were yet. For the longest time, the narrative was like, we're in Canada, we'll be fine. And then all of a sudden it went from like zero to a hundred. So that was obviously disappointing, but I think most people were under the assumption it was going to come back last year. And that was almost worse when it got canceled because it was like, great, again, like seriously, we can't reschedule. We can't do anything with this. It's just outright canceled. Um, so now the fact that it's 100% confirmed, like I'm finally starting to open <laughs> up to it. the idea. I dig yeah. it. <laughs> Honestly, you never know. <laughs> no, there's still time for it to change, Chris. But it, from, from your point of view, like, to, to, Canada's always been such a massive Formula One country, hasn't it? I mean, like, what, what have you uh, what have you been looking forward to? Like, not just about the race, but and like, what have you been uh, enjoying about the season so far? Probably my excitement is just seeing the new cars. Like you said, it's the first time since 2019. I mean, heck, last time we had Renault on the grid when it was here. We had the old Toro Rosso livery. I mean, I think that's the most exciting element to see how these cars are going to go around the track. And that's what I've been most excited about with this season is just how the, the pack is getting close. And you're seeing each team making new developments to the car, but not always working for each team. And then reliability is always just a curveball. <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious to see if like, there's going to be a really exciting race this year, or is it going to blend in with like maybe like an Australia where there's like a clear winner or could be chaos. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're both going as well. So there's even one to look forward to. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> extra, extra amazing just to be able to be there in person. Yeah. You're going all weekend. Yeah. I'm actually going to be in the paddock. So that's oh, going to nice. be exciting. I'll be behind the scenes. Um, so very much looking forward to that and getting to mingle with some friends that i've met over the years like solely virtually and now we actually all get to be there in person at the same event so it's gonna be really cool yeah i bet and uh, you might even see two canadian drivers in the paddock as well granted unfortunately they're not doing so well at the moment um let's let's start with uh, with lance stroll's fortunes um only only two points heading into uh, the azerbaijan weekend he's had a, he's had a really tough time of things hasn't he seems like it it's it's a lot of wrestling with the car and obviously it's difficult when your teammate is just massively outpacing you um it, it doesn't really help the image to say the least i do think that a lot of bad luck does tend to follow stroll around um it's really easy to just kind of typecast him as like oh here he goes again but if you look a little bit more closely there is oftentimes an underlying issue but yeah it, it's no secret that the performance has been not the greatest start 
to the season. Um, fingers crossed that it picks up, but yeah, like it's, it's frustrating for him. It's frustrating for the fans. Like we just, we just want to see it go well for him for, for a whole season, please. We just want to see a whole season get put together. Yeah, definitely Chris as well. That's, um, that's such a, it's really difficult for him, hasn't it? Because he's, he had a better car last year, granted not a massively better car, but, uh, but that Aston Martin just doesn't look right for him. I mean, Sebastian Vettel's still, you know, do, doing well with it as much as he can get into Q3 in Monaco, but he's, yeah, it, Stroll doesn't really look on top of it still, does he? Well, yeah, no, it's difficult. Plus, when Vettel had two races out because he was um, he had COVID there for the first two, and even against Nico Hulkenberg, it was it was looking pretty comparable there as well. So, uh, hopefully, things will turn. I mean, they're trying to make the upgrades. I mean, I'm sure Lawrence Stroll is not content about it either. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, definitely. And um, unfortunately, even further down the grid, I mean, Nicholas Tifa, he's probably been one of the uh, the most sort of criticized drivers all season for for how he's been doing. I mean, like what's what's the reaction been to his performances like at home for him, I guess? Um, almost a little bit shocking because last year he really looked like he was on an upward trend. You know, his qualifying was starting to come together a little bit more, even in terms of race pace. There, there were glimpses of hope of him even like inching closer towards George. So I don't know if it's just him really not meshing with the car, but this, this season is not going according to plan whatsoever. And yeah, I think even at home, we're kind of wincing a little bit every time something happens. It's like, I don't want to check my notifications. I don't (laughs) want to see what people are saying about this, but uh, still trying to support in the best way we can and happy he finally gets a home Grand Prix finally after so many years of waiting. Mm. Um, so we're happy for that at least, but yeah, it's been, I feel bad for him. It's been rough. Yeah, I bet. I mean, uh, the consensus among the sort of people before the start of the season was that he'd probably be a bit closer to Alex Albon than he was to George Russell, but Mm -hmm. that, that hasn't come to be for him. I mean, I wonder what's behind that. It's a it's a good question. It could be the confidence in a new setup in terms of the car, and it's just not favoriting him. But Alex was out for a whole season, so it just doesn't line up. Especially because Nicholas should know the team better. We're just always keeping our fingers crossed. I'm like, I'm happy he's completed races. It's not an incident every race weekend, but at the start it was looking like that. And yeah, like Cass said, hard to look at your phone sometimes, especially when two Canadians collided. Especially yeah, that was that was especially rough. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say tough weekend rough. on that. Australia, front. sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not good. But um, from from their point of view as well, I mean, there's still a long way to go this season. But both of them are out of contract at the end of the year. Like we we can pretty safely assume, unless something major happens, that one driver <laughs> keep their seat. Uh, but where does Latifi go from here? Like it's pretty obvious to say that he's got to improve. But you know, in what areas do you think he needs to improve? Um, it's hard to pinpoint it down to one whole thing because everything has kind of been a little not very amazing. I I can add that like clearly sometimes they're both struggling in qualifying. Maybe Alex gets the better performance out, but when it comes to the race pace, Alex always seems to find his way into the points. He has what one or two points finishes two now, two now. So, uh, that's just what Latifi's missing. He always seems like even at the end of the race, he's still towards the back. Whether it's strategy and we're not seeing it, I don't know, but it just seems like in those cases, that's where he's he's falling out. Yeah, it seems like whenever something happens, um, and maybe this is just, you know, first response on the radio, but it often seems like he's confused as to 
why there was a crash or why there was an incident or why he doesn't have the pace. Um, there doesn't ever seem to be like a clear cut answer for the lack of performance. So something within that field of his overall lack of understanding of the car is going to need to be zoned in on in order to improve. Cause if you're just left with constant questions, eventually you need answers if you're going to change anything. And there's constant pressure as well, especially from the Williams front, because uh, Alpine are offering Oscar Piastri to, to other teams. Nick DeVries came into FP1 in Spain and outpaced him. <laughs> they, I mean, there are sort of factors that are growing and growing against him, aren't there, unfortunately? Yeah, and I mean, the the rumors travel fast and voices are made extremely loud in the paddock. I think we've all heard the different rumors of who could replace him, when, how will it be announced, how soon will it be announced? And that can't be easy as a driver either to constantly have those whispers in the back of your mind thinking, oh God, if I don't perform like this could be it, this could be the final straw. Is it make or break every single weekend? That would be that'd be pretty draining. And I I would imagine if you don't, have a super thick skin or an incredibly strong mindset, like that would start weighing you down and affecting your performance as well, which is only going to snowball from there. Yeah. that's still a long way to go for Lance Stroll as well. I mean, you'd hope for his sake that he's able to pick things up and it's like, he looks like he was showing a lot more pace and like probably shaking off that sort of pay driver tag. But now that, now that Vessel's obviously, as you say, missed the first two races and coming in and out pacing, like what's he, he, he probably needs to, to get back into that mindset that he had a couple of years ago, really. I think one thing that I've noticed with Lance over the years is that it does take him a little bit longer than some other drivers to warm up to just new team, new car. Like we saw it in his rookie season. He had a couple of strong performances, but overall was like way off the pace in comparison to his teammate started inching a little bit closer, making progressions. But then as soon as he switched over to force India racing point, whatever it was called at the time, it's like it was a step back again. So it seems like anytime there's any massive changes in his setup, in his car, it's like a relearning period. Um, so I kind of wonder if this entire year is basically just going to be a write-off. I really hope it's not. I want to see him progress, but it kind of almost seems like he goes in, um, you know, one year is learning and then the next year is inching towards better performance and then it's back to relearning. So I I don't know what the fix is for that, but there, there are glimmers of hope when he does finally put together a strong weekend and you do see some performance in there. That's like, oh, hey, there's that talent that we knew you had. It just takes so long to pull it out of him for some reason. So I really want to see him get it together. And there, there's no denying that Aston Martin is a tough, tough car to drive. And it's obviously not going to make you look better when you're up against a four-time world champion, but <laughs> something's got to click eventually. Just has to click. One thing I can give Stroll, though, is what I like to hear from him is he seems frustrated on the radio. He's not making excuses and sort of like brushing it off like, all right, well, I guess next week is the time. You can see it's bothering him, too. So he he's definitely pushing out there. And I know Aston said they're a five-year plan. So I feel like we can expect Stroll to be on there for that five-year plan as well. So hopefully... He- they both progress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's the uh, there's the old cliche finding an extra tenth or two at your home race as well. But uh, seeing Canadians at, at your home race as well, I mean that that'd be exciting just to see two of them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And now we have like we have the Lance Stroll grandstand. We're going to have the Latifi grandstand as well. Seems like Williams are now going to be launching a Canadian based merch line. Finally, it's about time that we get some sort of special thing in Canada. (laughs) Um, So it's nice that at least, you know, they're trying to market them. They're trying to put their faces at the forefront. Um, I think 
it's been a little bit underestimated just how passionate Canadian fans are. You see the flags waving. There's so many drivers over the years that have said that the atmosphere here is crazy, unlike anything they've ever experienced. And we're not usually considered one of like the top Grand Prix across an entire calendar season, but Canada delivers. They consistently deliver good races. So we're just excited to finally get back into that conversation again. <laughs> Absolutely. But I just want to finish off by talking about your Formula One first, guys. I really appreciate you uh, sort of pulling things together for this. But uh, so, Chris, let's start with you on this. What is your first memory on Formula One? So, funny enough, Formula One watching it only dates back to 2017 um, okay. but my first memory is definitely because i've lived here all of my life uh, it's just the sound of those cars and probably the v8 engines at the time all the way from my backyard on the other side of the water uh, so just hearing those and then funny enough even i remember just going on bike rides to the track itself not knowing what it was for and now looking back at it i'm like it was so much bigger probably so much history i've missed watching it live uh, but yeah, I can tell, I think there's the, the, one of the questions is just the first race that we've been to. Yes, it is. Yeah. What, what was that for you? So it was actually one of our few first dates. Uh, I was working oh, wow. at the, at the Grand Prix. And so I, I got some free tickets and I knew she was a fan. So I brought her along, said, I'll, I'll learn it around. I only know who Verstappen and Hamilton were at the time. I'm like, Schumacher's not racing anymore. <laughs> that, that's, that's how extensive it was at the time. So it was, it was really fun. Just had it at uh, turn five and six. Vettel won that year. So it was, it was a good time. <laughs> very hot. Very hot. <laughs> yeah. Finding love in Formula One. That's, that's really nice. Like Cassidy, does your love of F1 go a bit further back than that? Mine goes from literal birth. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> my parents have been pretty much lifelong fans. So um, when I was born, the very next race, a few days later, was uh, the Spa Grand Prix. So as a literal infant, I was sat in front of the TV and apparently the passion just stayed with it. Um, I went to races as like a very young kid. I think my first ever like proper memory that I remember, I was probably around four or five years old at the Canadian Grand Prix. And I had put um, fake hair dye, like blue hair dye in my hair because I'm a massive um, David Coulthard fan. So i dried my hair blue for the Scottish flag. Um, and I remember he was, <laughs> he was in, uh, like the driver's parade and pointed at me as a little kid. And that was like the coolest moment ever. And then I met him a few years ago in the paddock and I got to tell him that story and he's just like, that's so cool. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my first ever, uh, race. I think I was like four or five. Yeah. And it was so loud. I had massive headphones on for a tiny little head and just it was great. And I go back all the time now. Oh, amazing and uh, and last of all like which was the sort of first driver or team you supported like what was it david coulthard for you Cass? <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> lifelong yeah. mclaren fan um and then yeah the mclaren has just been my team ever since lots of up and downs for that team um <laughs> You know, I think if I could get through the Alonzo years, I can get through anything. <laughs> but 2011 so, would have been good though, right? Yeah, that was excellent. Um, yeah. That was excellent. Anytime that, you know, fantastic results. Uh, Monza 1-2 was like one of the highlights for me. Um, honestly, I think David's drive in Monaco, like 2002, is one of my favorite races of all time. And I still get emotional when I go back and rewatch it. Um, so yeah, McLaren, they're my, they're my ride or die. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Um, so, so Chris, coming to the sport, you know, a bit, a bit later than that. I mean, what's, mm -hmm. um, you know, who would you say is the first person you threw your weight behind? I, I threw my like. Of course, there was some influence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, on who we liked and didn't like, uh, or d supported 
and preferred more. Uh, but to me, it, I sort of broke it down just so I could start understanding, getting to know the drivers a bit better, pick the team first. Fortunately, also, it was McLaren. Uh, the Orange just stood out to me at that time. And they were a bit of an underdog team with with Lando and Carlos, both there on the team. So I, I enjoy watching them perform well. And then as they've grown over those past three years, I was like, okay, yeah, McLaren. And now I've shifted over to uh, to becoming a Checo fan. Um, I just find he's one of the more humble drivers on the grid. <laughs> and you really, like, it's a feel-good moment every time he, he, like, performs really well, especially so when he got his pole and then just the win in Monaco as well. It's very nice to see. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you both very much for for being on. Like, So whereabouts would we be able to, to find your work? Um, you can pretty much find us at CCF1 on everything tiktok instagram youtube you name it we have it <laughs> that's that's us it's ccf1 channel on yeah ccf1 channel on some of them but you we're the canadians you'll find us <laughs> <laughs> well both of you thank you so much for coming on talking point i really appreciate your time thanks thank so much so for much. having us appreciate it Thank you very much to Cassidy and Chris for for speaking to me ahead of the Canadian Grand Prix, and I think we're all very much looking forward to it. And thank you to John and Oliver as well for taking us through conclusions of driver ratings today. Don't forget to head to planetf1.com. We will have you covered all week heading uh, into Montreal this weekend. And thank you very much for joining us, and we will speak to you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.